0: Welcome to Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head, rent-free. This is episode 104. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis, sitting in the captain's chair here again. Uh, People you should know, guys. Uh, We know this guy. Uh, I'm surprised it took us so long to get to doing a podcast about an author, you know, we talk about, I mean, Martin, you started off the whole darn series with a book. You know, and we talk that's about... True. That's true. The that whole thing started with the
1: idea, hey, I read this book, and let's go with that. You know, really, you could say that the entire podcast is predicated on the fact that Martin reads. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. I, <laughs> yeah.
2: I'll take that. I'll put that on my tombstone. That's Martin what reads? I re- yeah, I I read. You read that's and nice. you know things. That's yeah. That's yeah, that. and the great <laughs> that, that's Tyrion. That's yes. right.
1: and the great thing about that is that since it's going your tombstone, people can read it as "I read." Yeah, <laughs> beautiful. That's yeah. right. We, we love those paradoxes and double you, entendres. You know, we,
2: we have done authors. You know, we've done Orwell as a hero. We've that's done, true. We've done O'Rourke as a hero.
1: Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, even you know when we did Nietzsche as a person, you should know. Yeah, uh, you know, is on his writings. On the uh, his, that's yeah, right. history that's yeah, so uh, quite fair but yeah, yeah uh, you know yeah, yeah, I mean,
2: as a history episode was a writer. Uh, yeah. I'm glad you
0: mentioned von Klausbus because he's coming back again in this in this yes, episode he will. So, so I can get us to where we're actually going. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> yes, good, is, uh, John Keegan is the man we're talking about. Sir John Desmond Patrick Keegan the Order of the British Empire passed away in two thousand twelve. Uh, he is someone that you should read, listeners. Otterites, Otterites. As, Otterites. As, as we say, that's right. Uh, he is the rather, I don't want to say undisputed, but certainly
1: one of the great giants of popular military history. Yes, Now, and there are quite a few popular historical authors. Mm-hmm. He sticks primarily to the military history. Correct. I mean, you have guys like Joseph Ellis, who's very much a uh, biographer of Revolutionary War mm-hmm. uh Figures, yeah. uh, or, or, or or David
2: McCullough. I was going to say McCullough is, is a great
1: storyteller, right. popular historian. Right. 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 And you got guys that focus primarily on love it on the um, uh, Civil War, for instance. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But he is a military historian, right. and he was one of the first in
0: uh, in in, this, in the early seventies is when he came about doing what he was doing uh, as a popular author. Uh, and we'll talk a little about a little bit of that in, here in a minute because we're going to go over many of his works. Uh, because he made military history something more than just that dates, events, movements—something that was interested only to academics or uh, students, in, you know, in the military colleges and things like that.
1: Yeah, and you know that's important because I think we've talked about this in the past. It's—I it, know it's come up in conversation with you guys, so I don't know if it's been on an episode or not. But the history of warfare. Is a lot of what is studied, anyways, but mm-hmm. it's because that's where a lot of the most important things happen. Right, uh, those are always change points. Because they're fashion. always change points, are always flash points of uh, major upheavals and mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, but they're also where a lot of technological innovation comes from. Right, uh, because of
0: necessity. Right, and it moves the world forward for good or ill.
1: Well, it moves it in a, it moves it in a direction. Whether but or not we call true. that forward is is another. Well, thing. yeah, that's
0: right. Because at least in the short term, it's often backwards. Yes, warfare
1: often leads to backwards movement, <coughs> but it can often clear the, the, the playing field for mm-hmm. forward movement. Sure.
0: Yes. Uh, but and, Martin, and you were
2: yes. Uh, well, and, and one of the revolutionary part for Keegan, and I'm sure Francis is going to get to this and talk more is. He's more than just, this general did this, and this general did that. Very much so. This gen- He's one of the first to do, you know, you win or lose, yes, by generals making decisions, but also on how the individual soldier reacts. And that's what he focused a great deal of his early works on, were what's the effect of warfare on the individual. Mm-hmm. I like where you're going with this, because...
1: Uh, for one thing, I see that that point of view echoed in, in much of what you, you bring to Snakes and Otters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, I see that as an echo of some of the, the great uh, historical fiction that we read. Because mm-hmm. it sounds very much like Jeff Sharer's approach. Right, uh, right. Very uh, much so, yeah. And, you know, from a historical fiction, very much grounded in fact, but fictionalized. Right. Uh, so I can see where, I, where the appeal to both of them, goes hand in hand yeah. for us. Oh, yeah.
0: In many respects, Keegan is very much related to that type of thing, but his is not fictionalized. Right. It's not a narrative. It's not a narrative. It's not narrative. That's correct. You know, it's not like that or shall be Although food. I do
1: like a historical narrative. Eric Larson is another one we could mm-hmm. look at that's yeah. a great historian that when you first start reading, it's like, am I reading a novel or am I reading history? Mm-hmm. And then you realize you're reading history, but it's, actually, it's like whenever he does uh, quotes, they're actual quotes. Right. Uh, Where people speak, it's actual quotes of the people who are speaking. And, uh, you know, that that was appealing. So, yeah, uh, to me, that's a a very appealing thing with this sort of approach to history. How it affects the individual is
2: very important. Right, the individual who's who's facing battle. Oh, Uh, interesting you phrase it that way, of course, because his first
0: really... Major book, the one that changed the, everything. Yeah, the landmark book. The landmark book, and I'm sitting here with it in, on our desk right here. I brought many of my Keegan books with me. Is the Face of Battle? That's the exact book. Right, that, and that's
1: the one we recommend people start with. Correct? That's right.
0: It is. It's it. It's not long. I mean, the goodness, goodness gracious! It's you know, it's fully, fully annotated and full. It's 342 printed pages. I'm sitting here looking at it.
1: Well, how much before you get to the to the bibliography and the, the uh, that, that that's oh, okay, correct.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's that's the actual printed you know of all that. Uh, and it's it puts the reader into the trench with the common soldier that had not been done before. Uh, it just it just wasn't. And uh, he talks. It's, it's very analytical, but it's also I mean infantry versus infantry, cavalry versus infantry, the personal angle of vision. It's very much from a soldier's
1: perspective. And in that uh, book, he covers multiple eras that he does that's correct he covers Agincourt uh-huh. and uh what are the others that he covers but Waterloo Waterloo that was yeah. the major one that I was thinking of. exactly those are the and,
0: big dog daddies right but he
1: covers four there are two others that are there that he covers in that I don't have my copy of it open so I can't tell yeah you.
0: exactly uh give, give me a sec here uh on that one but yes that is correct
1: uh, the
2: Somme.
0: psalm, so Exactly. Yes. I don't know. I don't know why I had a brain
1: fart. On See, that and one. that's the that I think is the one that would speak to us a lot because you know we spend, spent, We haven't done it in a while. We've. I even said, didn't I say the last time we got together, I would be open to revisiting World War One if we talked about it from a certain
2: perspective. That's I don't right. Know what that was now, but. Well, I've got a I've got a book that's next on my shelf that I think that's, what it, I did. that's, that's yes, what it was. That's uh, yes, Arthur Herman. Uh, Lennon and Wilson and the New World disarm. That's right, because
1: any chance to, to hate on Wilson, I am up for. That's
0: right. Up, 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 Bring up. the toilet paper, gentlemen, because <laughs> we've got some dumping to do. Yes. Yeah, but that, for another day, because we're talking yes. about uh, Sir John. As yeah,
2: it, but as it, re- I won't really want you to draw this out of you, Francis, because I know you're the biggest fan, even though I've got, I, I think I counted up like 11 mean, his books at Which, home, uh, think, on my shelf. I know uh, uh, and you've got more than I do. I've, got, I've only got a couple. I've got digital <laughs> copies,
1: but yeah, a couple say, so
2: physical. Face okay. of Battle, Mask of Command, uh-huh. Six Armies in Normandy, uh-huh. Price of Admiralty. Both his World War One and his World War Two book. Those are the two I have. Yeah, and the World War One book is is really good. Well, uh, I brought you know, my it. illustrated version of it with me, and yeah, it's
1: because uh, that's the one you want to bring for the podcast. Well, of course, <laughs> because
2: that's
0: right, but. <laughs> You know, you can hear me touching it right yes. here. You know, it's a big honking book.
1: Yeah, normally I don't want to hear you touching it. No. <laughs> what is
0: it with this
1: today? You just, you're just <laughs> walked
0: all fine. into that. Yeah, you walked out. into Stepped writing. into it like a yeah. wet cow pie. I get it. Okay, yeah. that's fine. But yes, it's a, it's a great, great book. But, uh, Keegan yeah. is so readable. He's so readable. But it's not narrative. See, and, and, that's, and that's
1: the thing. That's the thing, yeah. Most academics have a hard time writing to be read. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that's why, listeners,
0: you should read them. You should read yeah. him. Uh, you know, f- but, Face of Battle was his first... Ma- it's the one that changed everything because the, it was 70, 76. He'd already written six books <clears> before <throat> that. Those were a little bit more specific. Uh, those were more... It wasn't just World War II, but most of them were. Some of it was World War I. One of was World War I. One was with uh, Dien Bien Phu with regards to Vietnam and all that sort of stuff like that. But the Face of
2: Battle is the one where... The world took notice, and they realized this guy has got something. Again, because he's he's moving beyond just this is what the general thought, this is what the general ordered. This is That's the, right, the exactly. movement of this army and the movement of this yeah. division, which is it he, was really really focused on what's the experience of an average soldier uh-huh. in the trench at the Somme, and it was what can he see, what can he really do?
0: Pegan uh, understood that the old way of doing things that you mentioned, like that. Is inherently boring to read. Yeah, it's really not, and that's why he wanted to be a popular military historian. But he didn't want to be narrative. You know, other guys have done that. Shelby Foote did that. Many yes, others. Yes, he was uh, excellent. At he, he's very good at that, and it has its place. It's a great yeah. way of reading stuff. But he wanted to pe- kind of find a happy medium in there because his is fully annotated, fully indexed. And it's accurate. I mean, yeah. there's no there's no projection of thought within somebody's yeah. mind, which is very important. Yes. But via the, it goes back to that idea of show versus tell. You know, a good author will show, not tell. Well, that's exactly what he does. Yeah. He puts the people that, you know, he explains this is what they saw. This is what was occurred. He doesn't extrapolate what they thought, which leads to a more historically grounded approach. Uh, but he's also analytical as he goes on to that, he's saying, this means something. And some of his conclusions in the face of battle were such that nobody was talking about any of that anymore, uh, or ever, Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's, uh, and he took that, and it was, uh, he talked about strengths and weaknesses of the battle piece. He was able to put those three diverse battles, major battles, all three, from totally different areas, and bring up the idea that there was innovation in all of these that changed the world. There's a reason that those three battles he picked is because they were something there that something new happened, something different happened. And he also shows not only the innovation and the the changes that happened, but also the fact that they're also the same. There's a dichotomy, that paradox that we love so much you know, you know, it's the same dance, but the tune is different. But it's still very much the same genre, for lack of a better analysis on all that sort of stuff. like Yeah,
2: that. and I will just also mention again, we're talking about the World War One book. I always view that as part of a kind of a what do you call it, a tripartite uh, reading experience on World War One. Mm-hmm. Uh, his book, the Hugh Strachan book, right? And I still like S.L.A. Marshall, even though that one's much more of a the, the, the traditional general, style that you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, and you, you forgot to mention G.H. Uh, Meyer too. And Meyer is I was very. I would say Meyer good. to me but is is the, the, the go-to corset. guy
0: on yeah. World War One, uh, because his is very readable. And I think he's of of the. I, I'm putting words in his mouth. He's not said this. To me, I see him as. An extension of Keegan, making it very accessible, but an inheritor, but his, of, in, in, the, inheritor of, of that mantle. Yep. But his he focuses on the whole thing. Keegan is much more telescopic. He zooms in on certain aspects and goes deeper with those. Folks, this is a great read. And his is also very personal in many ways because he does talk, you know, you talk about that, he talks about the average soldier. The face of battle certainly does that, but he doesn't stick to that. I mean, one of my favorite books of his. Is the one uh, the Mask of Command, mm-hmm. which uh, and I, I know that you, know, you have got uh, a similar favorite, Martin, for sure that you that you work with on that. But the Mask of Command, I'm, and I've got it, I brought all yeah. mine with me here. And the World War One book
2: gets broader as well, and it it's yeah, because it's a little bit of a political and social it's, history. It's the yeah. whole conflict. It's intended
0: yeah. to be yes. Uh, <clears throat> but Mask of Command studies the leadership styles of four different leaders, generals. And he passions. which ones because I'm, I'm getting there okay it's a uh, uh, it, 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 in chronological order and it's brilliant it's so brilliant oh my gosh it's so brilliant Alexander the Great mm. the Duke of Wellington whom, oh. I'm, whom I'm a huge fan Ulysses s grant who we're all big fans of and Adolf Hitler mm. and shows where there was genius or in Hitler's case in particular where there was not uh, and it was all based on that treatise of on the essence of military leadership that's what it was called. My gosh, folks! If you th- this one here, you can blow through that one so fast. I mean that's a so much thinner book, yeah. It, it is, yeah, yeah. These are not, generally speaking, these are not huge tomes that he writes. Uh, these are books that you can read in a very short period of time. They're not teeny weeny. There's about three hundred pages. Actually,
1: I guess it's uh, just thinner paper. Maybe this is actually about the same length as Face of Battle.
0: Yeah, about three hundred pages. Three hundred forty. Three, yeah, exactly. So it's uh, uh they're very easy to get a hold of. Amazon's got them all. Uh, Keegan is probably...
2: And you're likely to run into them in a uh, used bookstore as well. Sure, because... They, they've been, they're have been they published uh, for quite a while in many editions. And that's and, right, they're constantly in print. Yeah, in popular books, so they'll, they'll be out there. Fantastic. I think my copy of Mask of Command is a whole different uh, edition, so...
0: <laughs> it's, like I say, it's done it many, many times. Uh, they often have, like so many historical books, they'll have... Uh, photo sections with maps right. and things like that. There's some of that, but it's not you know it's not overly done. Uh, he lays all that stuff. It depends. Like you, you don't get any photos of Alexander the Great, <laughs> but you got plenty of Hitler, for example. Well, you can
1: have photos of busts of him, and there's some of
0: that. Yes, exactly. You, you do what you know. You get what you can get, I suppose. Right. But this this guy here, um, it's amazing how, just exactly how prolific he was. Uh, he was not without criticism. I'll tell you that because he is the he is considered to be an anti-Klauswitzian. In other words, he opposed. You know, we did uh, the Klauswitz uh, um, episode last year. Uh, Keegan was took some heat for being anti-Klauswitz. He said Klauswitz didn't get it right. Uh, he did not like uh, on war from Krieg uh, on warfare and military strategy. He said. Uh, I mean, he, he took a lot of heat from that, Keegan did, because Clausewitz, even though we don't really follow his doctrines, was so revolutionary. There are people that still consider him sacrosanct. You don't mess with him, uh, the, the war and political yeah, philosophy, it, philosophy. Yeah, to
2: criticize uh, Clausewitz is seen as being rather politically naive. That's that's that, what he was called. And he focused, and Naif is what he was called. Yeah, uh, certain, right, he does on focus on... The, the the individual soldier can lead you to ignore the politics of a conflict. Right. Yeah.
0: He was very focused on the military side uh, of the
2: conflict side and uh, the tactics.
0: Uh, he's not ignoring strategy because he recognizes that's kind of how well, you have to get where you're. Strategy getting. is for the generals. That's right. Tactics is for the privates. That's right. And it's <laughs> and he and that's one of the reasons he was so powerfully you know the face of battle just changed the world in many ways uh, because nobody had ever done it that way before. Uh, it's it's uh, and, and, but he's he's got a broadness. I mean, he taught uh, at Sandhurst uh, Military College for like 26 years, uh, as well as was uh, a very prolific writer. I mean, my lord, he's published. Uh, I don't. I, well, I go. In Sandhurst County. is
2: that's the big dog daddy of, in England. Yeah, uh, a British military. Uh, yeah, education.
0: That, it's, that's right. It, it's their West Point yeah it's it's where it's where you go to really get it right uh, and it was military history that he was that he worked with uh, uh and he was widely recognized as one of the the greats uh i find if you're looking for if you if you're wanting to dip into the Keegan well uh, the ones we've mentioned so far face of battle is obviously a great place to start mask of command is highly recommended but i really like i really like his history of warfare cuz mm-hmm. it's kind of a As I I mentioned earlier, he was telescopic. He zeroes in on certain things. This is where he becomes macroscopic, and he goes back to the whole enchilada and says, this is how it has always been done. And he shows those movements.
1: That's Uh, interesting. because I've not read that one, but I was just reading a little bit about that one. mm -hmm. And uh, you're right. He he outlines the development of, of warfare. And one of the interesting things he says in that, apparently, is that war is inherently cultural. Mm-hmm. Uh, meaning that you know, it's either part of the culture is what I'm presuming is what he means or it's not Right uh, now I guess for Nietzschean I might say that you're saying that the culture is either inherently
2: predator or inherently prey
1: um, you could say that because master having, or slave is the yeah. way
2: Nietzsche would, would well, I'm having a down. hard time thinking of a culture that doesn't engage
1: in warfare right because well, they, conflict between humans is always going to happen and
0: if there were such a thing it would inherently be gone very quickly because it would be subsumed. Because it would be the the epitome
1: of the slave or prey. That's correct. Uh, Yeah, ultimately there's that.
2: So does he mean, though, your approach to warfare is that cultural? I don't know. Because, again, I I only have the reference to it. Um,
1: But uh, that's also where he uh, got into trouble for criticizing Clausewitz. Yeah. Uh, that's where he vigorously denounced the uh, war as a continuation of policy by other means, um, which, you know, I don't see how he can ob- ob- object to that. I-, I think that is so inherently obvious that I have a hard time understanding how he could reject that because short of, well, even at a tribal uh, tribal level where you're talking about, you know, in uh, whether it's one tribe of cavemen versus another tribe of cavemen, mm. or, uh, you know, tribes in Africa or small city states in mm. Europe that are essentially just slightly larger tribes, uh, to, to countries, they're all going to, they're not, generally you don't go to war for glory uh, purely. You, you generally, especially the farther back you go in history, you, you know, you want some glory out of it. Yeah. But you're going to get something. Yeah, that's what you're wrapping it in. Right. right, that's how you sell it to the masses, mm-hmm. uh, if you even have to, uh, but you go to war because you want something out of it, and that's policy.
0: Yeah, he's Keegan's trying to say it's cart and horse, he's basically saying politics is subservient to mil- to military uh, endeavors. Uh, and I, I, think I think he's got it backwards. I, 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 well, that's von well, that's Clausewitz. he says yeah. it's the other way around, and that's one of the reasons he got so, uh, he got such flack for that. Uh He sees warfare, Keegan that is, as it's either dominant or it's not in a culture. That's where he goes back to that cultural thing.
2: Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. So you're either Sparta or you are something not. Yeah. You're you're building your your culture around something other than warfare Hmm? or you can build your culture around warfare. That's correct. And ultimately he's saying that when it comes to warfare, somebody
0: is doing that. Somebody is building there. I, I think it falls apart in modern era, uh, which I uh, I don't think you can um, you can describe Vietnam that way. That's that's a different thing. That's well, uh, but that, World that, War One. Yeah, I can see where if he's using that as his lens, uh, that's not bad because of the the German military culture. I think that's what he's trying to say is that ultimately would not be satisfied unless there was war. Uh, he's he's well, looking into an 18, uh, through a nineteenth century mindset where that could be considered to be true.
1: Yes, but. I would say that the, where he still has that wrong yeah. is that German military culture is at the service of one thing, Lebensraum.
0: <laughs>
1: well, for That's the German I mean that's the the German reason for going to war throughout the 18th or uh, throughout the 19th and early 20th century is they wanted more space. Right. Uh which you know, you want more I mean essentially that's one of the main reasons why a lot of War happens. Is you want something that somebody else has again, policy, mm-hmm.
2: and, and, and maybe, maybe because I haven't too.
1: read more of what he's saying, you know, maybe he's saying that because it sounds like he's saying war is the end, not the means. And I don't for know that that's yeah, for, that's what Keegan is saying. Whether that's you know it, that kind of falls apart,
0: folks. That's one yeah, of reasons. Now
1: maybe in some individual outliers, maybe. Oh, I'm sure there are exceptions. Yeah. that might, might you know. And the certainly rule. at the individual level. Mm-hmm. Because there are some people that you know, conflict, physical conflict, is all they live for.
0: Well, Napoleon's a good example of that. Hitler's a good example for that.
1: I, well, d- no, I don't think so. I don't. Well, I don't I, know. I don't. I don't even know that I would go for Napoleon because I think it's, even for him, I think it's still at the service of something else. I don't know that he went to war just because. You know that's the only. Well, for him it was almost Darwinian. I am the strongest, and therefore it must be mine. Well, I'm going, again, I'm going to must support, be
0: mine. That's right. I'm going to spread my genius to yeah. everyone. And well, you know, yeah. we laugh, but that I mean, that was definitely a, even undertone. a the
1: Hun, which I think you might make a good a good argument for. That's just warfare for for the sake of warfare. Yeah, uh, you know, or the uh, Rocky in Game of Thrones might be a good because uh, they're would, very much Genghis Khan. Well, God they're type. yeah, they're based on that. Yeah, um, but even because that's part of the cultural. But even then. You know, or Klingons. Okay. I like that. Yeah, I like to right. with the Star Trek reference.
0: Yeah. I was wondering if we were going to get there.
1: Uh, you know, the, but again, the war is at the service of glory and honor. Uh huh. So yeah, I, I have a hard time. I, I understand the, very much the the criticism that he takes for that. Correct. Uh, That's what's so fascinating about it because he he
0: tries real hard. To, and maybe it's because he convince... focuses
1: so much on just the military aspect. That's correct. I of think that's. I think that's exactly it. Um, that's why he goes there. He's he's focused on uh, on one part of the elephant and can't see the rest of it. And he's trying to argue that there's multiple elephants. Well, no, it's, right. I think he's trying to argue this that it's just the trunk. You know, it's, yeah. it's like three blind men. Uh, you know, one at the the front of the elephant, one at the back, and one in the middle. They're all describing three separate animals. Right. And he's just at one part, and he's just describing, or maybe he's at the back, because, you know, war is hell. <laughs> yes, uh, and you get shit on by an elephant, that's going to be hell. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe that, because that's what he focuses on, maybe that's all he can see, is that it is, uh, war is, is the point.
0: War is the elephant's bottom? Yeah. Well, I'm trying to be clear. Or maybe it's all bottom. I don't know. Yes, yes, that's right. It's all elephant crab. But anyway. It's uh, a good point to stop. But exactly, because we need a to break. That's right. We we drink, we're, break. we're drinking bourbon today, boys. uh yes. And uh, we're over here at uh, Studio R. Yes, Studio the, R. On the atrium. It's an overcast day, but, you know, it's not bad. That's right. But
1: still, we have, a, we have a wonderful view. We can see the sky. We can see the trees. Yeah, it's, you know. It's, it's a, great. It is an excellent day. Oh, yeah. It's it's yes. cool,
0: but not. But by no means, it's... it's uh, it's sweatshirt weather, boys. Of course, we all wore our
1: swag today, our little yes, ladies, so it's really it's... kind of nice. Uh, so, uh, since nobody's talked about it yet, I will go first. I am drinking mm-hmm. some Maker's 46. haven't had this in a while. bottle's been sitting up there uh, for quite a while. Uh, as you know, I'm not a huge fan of regular Maker's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they, they are more marketing than substance in that sense. Too sweet. It's not bad bourbon.
0: Too sweet for you, if I remember no, right. No, no, no.
1: Because uh, I think uh, I, I kind of like that hint of sweetness in this, but yeah. uh, this is a, a more full-flavored bourbon, maybe okay. uh, a little less harsh in the sense; it's smoother. Uh, I, I just, if I'm going to go
2: makers, 46 is what I would have to go with. Right. And you and I, Francis, have poured a glass of six-year-old bottled-in-bond Heaven Hill. Yes, that uh, old-style uh, bourbon. That Robert
0: has furnished us here uh, yet again. So, it was actually in the back of his uh, bourbon uh, stash, and uh, you pulled it out,
1: saying, "Oh, it's been a while since we did this." Yes, it has been a while since we've had that. We yeah. got that because we learned about what it meant to be bottled and bonded. Yeah, that's right. We talked about that. And uh, so I found a bottle and we tried it. It's not it's expensive. Good. No, charcoal it's, filtered. It's good. It says,
0: uh, you know, it's got that beautiful uh, dark amber color to it. A little darker than some, I would submit. But uh, I suppose it's a little lighter darker. than. Uh, See, than isn't some that, too. is Isn't that amazing? Just looking at it, and we get two different uh, yeah. two different looks at it. But I,
2: uh, I had a little ice in mine. And that's melted, so I'm, mine's a little mellowed out with a little bit of water. Well,
0: yeah, I see. Mine, mine is just neat. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 the full Monty, as it were. It's a little harsher than some. Yes, and that's and that's okay. You know, it's it's just a, it's called old style bourbon. I'm not sure if that contributes to the the, the, the punch mm-hmm. that it has. That's a possibility. I think a couple
2: of ice cubes to take care of that for you. Well, I don't have a problem with
1: it. I'm just noting it, you know. Yeah, that's right. Okay. I, I, well, I, I like it this because way. it's old style. I think what that refers to is that it's not uh, the basic formula has not been monkeyed with like so many other bourbons to get the different flavors.
0: Okay, yeah, that's right. It, um, it, yeah, is, it yeah.
1: takes your basic mash, puts it in the charred barrel, and lets it age. There's no additional stuff, uh, you know. Because remember, bottled and bond means that it is done to very strict standards. Because mm-hmm. the whole point of that was to uh, stop screwing up uh, bourbon. Right. Because that was a real problem.
2: There's mm-hmm. no tobacco spit in it.
1: Exactly. You know, uh, nobody wants tobacco spit in their bourbon. I can, I can assure you of so,
2: that. Yeah. So that. I'm finding that it very, fairly mellow. Um, with a little ice, the chew thins out just a bit. Yeah. So it doesn't have quite that kind of chew to it. It's a little thinner. Um but pretty mellow, pretty darn good.
0: Oh, I'm liking it. I'm liking it a lot. Yeah,
2: and I think that was
1: 12 thirteen dollar bottle. Something yeah. like that, it's a twelve buck bottle. Yeah, uh, certainly better than you know an equivalent early times. I mean, again, not that early times is bad, but I'm mean, just no. you know that's you think of your low end bourbon. That's yeah. the one most people think of at that's least right. around yeah. here. Sure, yeah. um, but
2: I would recommend mellowing this out with a couple of ice cubes. Yeah, It's a possibility. I don't know well. I'm well, you know,
1: on. it's an interesting thing about bourbon. Uh, the ice does two things. Uh, the chill definitely changes how you experience the bourbon. That's true. Yes, but as it melts, it also dilutes it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I like it—the uh, ice for the for chilling uh, more so than the the diluting, uh, unless you have a really high alcohol content one that you know the ice is not as absolutely necessary. I like that's why I like the stones or the metal cubes or balls to to chill it because those especially last longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so the ice will either dilute it a little bit. Or affect how the you know, the chill right. will affect it. So I find that very amazing. Yeah, very it, it interesting. affects it affects flavor.
2: Mm-hmm. It affects the chew. It affects the uh, where you're getting that uh, olfactory experience. Right. It, it, whether that burn is is up or down. Uh, pretty interesting. I was in uh, in some uh, teams meetings this week. As everyone has been, I'm sure. Yes. Uh, teams and Zoom. That's. I think in 2019, those were terms nobody understood. Now we know them all too well. Yes. Um, but uh, one fellow is in New Jersey and another in Texas. And uh, the fellow in New Jersey was asking about, you know, the difference between whiskey with an e and whiskey without an e. Well, of course, I was able to tell him, with an e means it's from Canada or Tennessee and generally should be avoided. But without an e means it's from Scotland or Ireland and it's okay and I was able to then also say well officially bourbon doesn't have to be made in Kentucky but unofficially it's not really bourbon it's That's not right. made in Kentucky exactly so they were they, uh, they that was quite a bit of a discussion before we got started onto our uh, training topic of uh, virtual desktops yes and you know the, the great thing
1: about bourbon it is the it is legally the native spirit of the United
2: States. Hmm. Amen. You're here. 51% corn mash, aged at least two years, and the snakes and otters rule is it's got to be made in Kentucky. Yep. Otherwise, it's, it's just I, whiskey. Yeah. Right. And no, it's not just a cultural pride
1: thing. Although there's a great deal of that, but Kentucky is uniquely situated atop uh, a certain kind of water source, uh-huh. as well as the the climate here can get extremely cold and extremely hot, which affects the aging of the bourbon. Mm-hmm. So it's the water as well as the climate that goes into it. It well, changes
0: well. how we're on limestone. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. That, feel, that naturally that's what creates the water that yeah. that we that works that, so that's well. That's a with. very
2: good point too about the weather affecting how it's expanding and contracting in the barrels over the time you age it. Right, because that expanding and contracting
1: is going through that charcoal, that
2: charred part of the barrel. And
1: that's what gives it that extra yeah, kick. You're, you're bringing what in all What makes it those... something besides whiskey. Yeah. So I don't like to call bourbon whiskey, even though technically you can argue that it is. Yeah. It's
2: a type of whiskey, bourbon whiskey, but... Right. Uh, just call it bourbon. That's right. All right. Anyways, well, that was great. That was a great bourbon break, fellas. That's right.
0: Well, you know, it's going to be short because we've talked mostly about all, the, all that we need to uh, with right. regards but to... But that, Keegan-
2: that's the... Yeah. I mean, the big time about Keegan and the reason to explore him. And again, the face of battle, massive command, these are good entry points. The World War One book, the World War Two book are good entry points. But the revolutionary thing is he's he, he put war into the perspective of that soldier, not just what his feelings were, but what his real experience was. Correct. Um, what's really possible when you're uh, a rifleman in a trench at the Zone. Right, and that is re- to me, a, a that's, revolutionary approach yeah, to military history. That's
1: what makes it personal. That's uh, right. It, it makes it, I think, more relatable and understandable. That's Why it was so readable uh, for the average person? Because let's face it, most people sitting through history class were not like us. You know, weren't just soaking it up. They right. were bored. Right, and that's because most history classes are taught like most history books. <laughs> And, you know, these big sweeping things that, you know, That's really right. don't relate to anybody. Right. And
0: then this, and then this, and then this. Meanwhile. Then. That's right. Oh, <laughs> thank you. That's exactly but what I am trying But understanding
2: context uh, is the key to appreciating history. Absolutely. Absolutely. And understanding the threads all emerging. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Keegan is one that I think is really good at that. And again, in his World War One book, it's, it's a social history of the war in addition to being a military history, it is yes, and I uh, and, and it really helps with the understanding of what these men went through mm-hmm. because you're you're really exploring their their context their uh, their experiences before the war that shaped them as soldiers. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and you know we've said it before: context is key. Yeah, it, you know, it is. And it really is. He is a master
0: of that because he recognizes that you don't
1: understand it if you don't have that in there, right? Because that's what lets you understand history as a thread. You know, mm-hmm. that's Martin's uh, favorite thing about history. Yeah. It, it, it is a thread. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to think of things like that. You know, it's tapestry. And as you said in yeah. one of the the show prep sessions, you you pull on the thread and things change. It either uh, unravels or it changes the nature of the okay. tapestry. It's not yeah. the same anymore. Uh, but it's definitely not the same anymore. And Context, that's all about the context. It really is. Uh, When you lose context, whether it's at the personal level, the micro level, or the macro level, I think you lose the majority of the meaning. Context is what lets us understand uh, a particular historical situation in that particular time. Mm -hmm. Without losing our own perspective. Mm -hmm. And this is what I think is is missing so much in today's uh, look at how things work. Uh, yes, we can look back at certain things in history and realize, oh my God, how, how are people that awful to do things that way? But then you realize, okay, this is what they've been taught, what they've believed all their lives, and yet somehow we still got out of that and we moved forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And
0: that's following that thread. In fact, when it comes to military history, there was no way forward without something like that. Yeah. You know, the entire idea, World War 1 is a great example because before that idea, military was the path to glory. After that, everybody realized just what a hellish thing it was on a worldwide stage. And it's never been the same after that. Right. It's, it's just approached very differently now. And we're the better for it because we realized yes. this must be avoided. It's not something we run towards, we run away from. And it was, it was in many things, it's the psalm and all that went around that, as Keegan tried to to indicate, mm-hmm. that brought that uh, to bear.
1: It's been a great episode, guys. That's, Excellent. I think that, yeah. that, that was really good. I mean, no. it's short. What's our time on this? We're at thirty-five. This is one of the shortest episodes we have done in a long time. Well, you know, it's uh... but that's okay. Uh, you know, without going deep into his books, which again we try never to do because I think that could get. Um... We, we recommend. Yeah, we recommend, yeah. and we we'll give you a uh, brief. Bring your own opinions. Why. You know, I, I think that's important too. Yeah. Uh, we'd like to tell you why it's interesting to us, mm-hmm.
0: and we and we believe that since we are Renaissance men that we are that because they're interesting to us, they'll be interesting to our listeners as well.
2: To the Otterites. To, to the, the Otterites. that's right. Oh, what a toast. To, to the, oh, the faithful Otterites. Oh, that's right, that's right. All
1: right. So, Francis, what is up next, buddy? You know, I haven't got a bloody clue. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> what are these? I had to say that at some
0: point, you know.
1: A little too much bourbon there, for Francis. <clears throat> you guys keep
0: asking me that every time. Of course, that's... That's your job. That's our job. We, that's that's, that's job. a script. Yes. We kind of know that. That's kind of our little cue. It's up to Martin after this one. Because the next one is a Martin episode that he put for us. Oh yes, Eastbound car- and Bound. It's right. Car chase. Well, talk He's about bound it. Eastbound and Down. Uh, so, loaded up and trucking. We're gonna do we what do they, they say, say can't, can't be, be done. done. I mean, we can sing the song. Come on, it's Jerry Reed. But anyway, Martin had this great idea as he always does. Let's talk car chase movies. They were huge mm-hmm. when we were kids. That's kind of where we walk into the concept. But And Smoking the Bandit's kind of like the big dog. That's decade. the epitome. That's the epitome. But there was a whole movement of stuff around in the 70s in particular, in 80s, where this was a thing. If you lived through it, you get it. If you didn't live through it, we're going to tell you about it. It's going to be fun.
2: Hope you enjoyed another pointless discussion of Eternal Questions. Remember, new episodes published every Friday at noon Eastern. Spread the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms.
1: And leave us a comment or review because that helps others find us. We're on Instagram, Twitter, as well as our website, snakesandotters.com. I'm Martin. And
0: I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Join us next week, same snake time, same otter channel.